So right before we started filming this episode, and this is what always happens, by the way, right before we go on air, I speak with the great and powerful Jay Hay about what we want to achieve with the episode. He gives me brutal feedback about my scripts, which improve my scripts immeasurably every day. And when we were talking about what we wanted out of this episode, this is episode 100 of The Liz Wheeler Show, a very significant milestone. I told him I was worried that starting out the show by talking about episode 100 and talking about what we have achieved since May 25th, 2021, when we launched this show, I told him I was worried that I would sound sappy talking about this. And as usual, he had very wise counsel for me. And he said, well, what about you don't worry about sounding sappy and you just make sure that you remember how grateful you are to be where you are and grateful to those of you who are watching this, who have made the show what it is. And of course, as usual, as much as it pains me to say this, he is of course correct. So I wanna start this show today by just saying thank you to you. I mean, th this was two, a year and a half ago when I left cable news. I mean, this was a big leap. This was a leap of faith, if you will, to leave a stable cable news show that I'd hosted for five years and to start a brand new podcast, to go independent, if you will. It's like starting It's like starting your own business. It's a risk that you take. I didn't know if it would be successful. How would it be received? Would you guys like it? Would you guys hate it? Would you listen to it? Would you download it and subscribe to it? Would it keep being a thing after the beginning? This is, this is the question when it comes to going independent in podcasts. And so I, I took this leap because I felt that it was the right thing to do, that it was the best way that I can communicate and have a connection with you to communicate reality, reality that's lacking in so many areas of our country. And the response, we're now, like I said, on episode 100, the response has been absolutely overwhelming. And I don't say, I don't say that with any, to be self-congratulatory, I don't at all. 100 episodes to me feels like a milestone just because we have, built such an incredible apparatus over the last couple months. Of course, we are just beginning what we are doing, but I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we actually have built. And when I say we, I'm not talking about me and the mouse in my pocket. I'm talking about the fact that this is a team effort. It's it, I'm the one in front of the camera, so I'm the face of the show, of course, but my producer, Jonathan, um, is... I, I can't even begin to describe how much he contributes to the show. It is an equal partnership, this show, between he and I. His wise counsel on a daily basis has made this show what it is. And so, Jonathan, thank you for everything you do. Chad Abbott, my executive producer behind the scenes, has built this apparatus into what it is. I literally would just be talking into a microphone if it weren't for Chad Abbott. So thank you. Thank you for um, your brilliance and the idea and the plan and the execution of the plan that you put forth, it's been incredible. And most of all, and thank you to the whole team at Soundfront as well. Everyone is professional and amazing getting the show up and running on a daily basis. But most of all, I wanna thank you watching this. Thank you for doing this together because it's not just me and my team. We are all a team doing this. Like I said, we launched on May 25th of 2021. And when we launched, we had a few subscribers on YouTube. And we didn't have locals at all. We actually launched locals simultaneously with the launch of this show. And so over the past, what is it, May to the end of January, so um, a, a little over half a year, we have grown YouTube into 250,000 subscribers. That's a quarter of a million people now who 
watch and listen to us on YouTube over on Locals. And this this might be the, the crowning jewel of them all. 39,000 of us are part of the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. And this this number is extremely special to me because Locals allows us not only to have a more personal connection, but it's all, we're all there for the same reason. We're there because big tech censorship is harmful. We're there because we seek truth. We are truth seekers as individuals. And we know that sometimes reality is not just censored, reality is difficult to find, but we know that we are called to make those informational decisions for ourselves, to seek out all the information and use that to determine the outcome of our political positions and how we act and how we raise our families and how we operate in the workforce and just the way our philosophy on life. And so 39,000 people that are like-minded over on the Liz Wheeler Show community is it's incredible. And it's incredibly fun to get to know you all, to talk to you all on a daily basis, to hear your life stories and what you care about. And like I said, it's just this ongoing dialogue. On Apple Podcasts, the show has a 4.9 uh, star rating, which, I mean, I'm of course competitive. So I'm like, ooh, we're missing just 0.1. It's not a perfect five-star rating because of some salty liberals who give us one-star ratings. But we have 3,500 people who've given us the vast majority very positive ratings. And then we have had over 7 million downloads since the launch of this show, since the inaugural episode. 7 million downloads across all platforms. And like I said, the word here is just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful to be fortunate enough to be doing this for my job. It's, you know, I'm having the time of my life. It's an absolute blast. So I want to thank you for being part of this. And, you know, buckle up because we are just beginning. We are building this into a powerhouse. We are going to be a force to be reckoned with. We will always, I will always speak reality and we will continue to grow this as a team. In fact, in honor of the 100th episode of this show, we we're lucky to film this in front of a live studio audience. Hundreds and hundreds of you turned out to be with us for episode 100. It was The energy in the room was incredible. It was fun. Um, so without further ado, this is episode 100 of The Liz Wheeler Show. But first, I want to talk to you about Paint Your Life. PaintYourLife.com is literally just as cool as it sounds. You get to turn your favorite memories into art that lasts forever. You pick a photograph, any photograph, your most emotional life moment. You submit a picture of it, and an artist paints it into a painting. It's the most amazing, the most meaningful gift. And when I first heard of this, I thought, wow, that's really cool, but I bet it's really expensive. It's actually very affordable. Also, once you submit your photo, you get to approve the draft of the painting and then they ship it to you in as little as two weeks. So you're in control of the process from start to finish. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try paintyourlife.com. This is a fun thing too. You can actually combine photos of people or places that you love into one painting. You can choose from a team of world-class artists and you work with them until every detail it's perfect. And then, like I said, you can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. At paintyourlife.com, there's also no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. But to get this special offer, text the word Liz to 64,000. That's L-I-Z to 64,000. Liz to 64,000. Paintyourlife.com helps you celebrate the moments that matter the most. So I went to the March for Life yesterday. I think most of you guys probably went to the March yesterday, right? It was hands down the coldest march that I've ever been to. I almost made it to Supreme Court before my feet, before my toes got too cold and fell off. But it was very interesting because most of the people at the march, I think, are conservatives, are Republicans. But there was one group who took part in this march yesterday 
who were not conservatives, they were not Republicans, they're uh, Democrats for life, took part in this march as well, which I think is an incredible thing. But I had read an article just a day or two before the march that the Democrats for life were going to host a breakfast to prepare for this. And the restaurant that they had booked as their venue for this breakfast actually canceled on them because they dared to be both Democrats and pro-life. That's the kind of booze I like to hear. Yeah, the, the, the restaurant, I'm gonna call out the name of the restaurant too, it's Busboys and Poets, uh, the K Street location. And what's really interesting, so this is obviously intolerance, right, from the left. It's obviously not inclusivity like they like to talk about, but this was the reason they gave for canceling on Democrats for Life. They said, quote, this is the spokesperson for Busboys and Poets. They said, when our team learned the fundraising nature of the event in question, the decision was made to cancel it and refund all deposits to the event organizer. Just wait. It gets good. They said, the chain, it's a chain restaurant, stands firmly on the belief that women have the right to make their own reproductive health decisions. While we welcome conversations from individuals expressing different viewpoints, well, sure, and pride ourselves on being a venue for respectful conversations between diverse groups, we are also a safe space, they said. As such, we cannot knowingly accept events designed to fund an agenda which our community members believe to be trampling on the rights of others. When I read this, I, I mean, it's funny but not funny, right? I did laugh when I read this, when I read this, because I was like, okay, so you welcome conversations from individuals expressing different beliefs, just not any belief different than your own. <laughs> also, Planned Parenthood holds events there, so I think we figured out why, why this event was canceled. The, the larger picture here, besides this just being intolerance and cancel culture, the larger issue here is why do restaurants or why does the left try to shut down pro-life organizations? Why do they try to silence us? Why don't they want to engage with us? And I think the answer to that is key here. The answer to that is because we are effective as a movement. We are making a difference. We are changing hearts and minds. And they know this. They know, the pro-abortion left knows that the vast majority of people in our country, I'm talking Democrats, Republicans, pro-life, pro-abortion, actually want restrictions on abortion. They don't agree with the very radical leftist entire abortion agenda. They don't think that abortion should be from the moment of conception until birth. There's a very interesting poll that just came out. This was a Marist poll, and I want to read this here, if the internet allows me to bring Twitter up. 71% of people in our country, again, Democrats and Republicans, 71% of people think that abortion should only be legal in the first trimester meaning the vast majority of the American people think abortion should be illegal in the second trimester and third trimester. This, this is an incredible thing because there's this dichotomy between our elected officials in Washington, D.C., the leaders of the Democratic Party, and what their constituents actually believe. Their constituents actually think that abortion should not be legal. And this is something we should celebrate. We get together for this march. The camaraderie, the energy is contagious. And so I'm here today to bring you down. I'm here today to say we are effective, but... Ladies and gentlemen, we are not effective enough. We're not even close to effective enough. Because while 52% of the millennials in our country think that abortion should not be legal, that means 48% of them think that abortion should be legal. Conservatives get a lot wrong on abortion. And if we want to win this battle, which we want to win this battle, right? <laughs> if we want to win this battle, then culturally, rhetorically, legally, philosoph uh, philosophically, we have some big changes we need to make, and that's what I want to talk about today. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.
One of the really interesting things about this conference, I want to give a shout out to Students for Life and Kristen Hawkins because their new campaign is actually a unique take on the pro-life movement. This, I was, I, I read this, their battle plan start to finish, and I thought this is really interesting because one of the accusations that we hear from the left so often, whether it's the, the 1619 Project from the New York Times, whether it's critical race theory, I mean, one and the same, whether it's the transgender bathroom argument, one of the things that we hear from the left all the time is that America is fundamentally racist, that we are a terrible country, that our institutions are illegitimate, basically as a way, of course, that's their strategy of wanting to undermine our nation as a whole so that they can remake America in the image, the Marxist image that they want. And so I think what Students for Life is doing in their new campaign is fascinating because it's true that there have been grievous errors, sins that have been committed in our country by the people running our country, right? I mean, we're talking slavery, we're talking civil rights, we're talking subjugation of women. All of these things are real. We're not sitting here saying that they're not real, but what we as conservatives or we in the pro-life movement believe is that the founding documents of our country allowed us to correct these wrongs, allowed us to say, okay, we got off on the wrong track. We are depriving people of the rights that we have in, enshrined in our constitution and therefore let us remedy that. And the remedy for that is actually found in our founding documents. So I know this is nerdy, I know this is philosophical, but this is really interesting because what Students for Life is doing is they're saying there's been three major fights for freedom in our country, three foundings almost. The founding of the Revolutionary War where the tyrant King George was dehumanizing the American colonists, depriving us of our agency, depriving us of self-government and representation, taxing us, treating us abhorrently. And so we staged a revolution. We took back our rights and we set up a government that would allow us to govern ourselves. That was the first fight for freedom. The second fight for freedom then was for, free, for the freedom of black Americans who, though their rights were protected in the constitution, the men running our country did not respect that. They misapplied those founding principles to the laws of our land. And so hundreds of thousands of people fought in our country in the civil war for the rights of those black Americans. And then we had a legal movement, the civil rights movement that corrected those wrongs to make sure that even if black people were technically free, that they enjoyed the opportunity and the protection by our government that everyone else in our country did. This is right, this is proper, this is what our founding documents were intended to do. That was the second fight for freedom. This episode of the Liz Wheeler Show is brought to you by Home Title Lock hometitlelock.com slash Liz. Did you know that somebody can steal your house without you knowing until it's basically too late? It's called home title theft. This is how it works. The deed to your home is the only document that proves that you own your home. The reason this crime is a new crime is because all deeds to your home are now online. So a scammer can steal your deed just by finding it online, forging your signature, and refiling as the new owner of your home. Then he'll take out loans using your home's equity and leave you in debt. You won't even know until collection notices show up on bank loans that you never took out. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, which is why you need hometitlelock.com slash Liz, America's leader in home title protection. Home Title Lock monitors the deed of your home and notifies you if anybody tries to access your deed. Homeowner's insurance does not cover home title theft and neither do common identity theft programs. HomeTitleLock.com is your peace of mind that the deed to your home is protected. Visit HomeTitleLock.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz for your 60-day money-back guarantee. That's HomeTitleLock.com slash Liz and use promo code Liz. HomeTitleLock.com slash Liz. But how can our country prosper? How can the United States live up to its potential when there's still a third front? a third group 
a third people whose rights are subjugated, whose very right to life, the most inherent of all the rights, the right on which all the other rights are built, has been violated and denied. And so again, I, I know this is really philosophical, but I was, I was wowed, I was flummoxed, I was, I was like head explode at this new battleground plan from Students for Life because I thought this is true. We cannot flourish as a nation unless we address this human rights abuse. And this is something that it doesn't matter if you're already a part of the pro-life movement, if you're already an anti-abortion activist, a pro-woman activist. This is something that every single person in the conservative movement should feel a call toward. This is our revolution. This is our third founding. This is what we're all doing here today. And so I think in order to understand, in order to understand how to win a fight, you have to understand what the fight is. So we have to understand what we're fighting for. This is what we're fighting for. We're fighting the final fight for freedom. And now that we understand that, then we turn and we say, okay, well, how do we, how do we win that fight? And this is where I think that we have to be very honest with ourselves. Everyone in this room, I'm sure, has heard from the pro-abortion left. When we're talking about abortion, especially first trimester abortion, we've heard the argument, well, what about rape and incest? This is an extremely difficult thing to address. And oftentimes, the pro-life movement responds by saying, well, let's talk about the 99% of abortions that don't have to do with rape and incest, because that's the statistic. 99% of abortions do not have to do with rape and incest. So we say, we turn to the pro-abortion left and we say, well, let's talk about the majority of abortions first, because the majority of abortions shouldn't be governed by policy based on the minority of abortions, the 1% of abortions that have to do with rape and incest. And that's, that's our, our, our party line, right? And it's okay. But I don't think that's good enough. I don't think that that's the right way to handle this. I think you and I have to, are called to have the uncomfortable conversation and say, okay, let's talk about that 1%. Let's talk about why there are exceptions for rape and incest. Is that right? Is that life itself less deserving of the protection of the law, less deserving of our voices, less deserving of our defense? No, it's not. So why don't we say that? Why don't we defend that? Why don't we, as a pro-life movement, say, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna allow this exemption for rape and incest. We're gonna talk to you about that individual life, that baby who did nothing wrong, that person with a unique DNA who deserves to be protected. We don't do that. And we should. We should also talk about adoption. We should talk, the, the left right now, especially since Amy Coney Barrett took her seat on the Supreme Court, the, the radical left likes to say, I mean, she adopted a couple of her kids, right? That's the, that's the root of this. The radical left likes to say, well, adoption is not an answer to abortion because adoption is traumatizing, especially adoption where the parents are of one race and their adopted child is another race. They like to paint this in the, in the theme of critical race theory, that white parents are simply incapable of raising children if their skin color is something different than the parents, which is abhorrent, but let's address that. Let's address that. Is all adoption, you know, sunshine and roses? No. no, it's not. Why don't we say this? Why don't we say, listen, adoption can be traumatizing. There are adoptive children who suffer mental health issues because of the, maybe the abandonment of their parents. Maybe they searched out a parent, and a biological parent, and that parent rejected them. There are certainly, there are certainly stories that are heartrending. I read a story yesterday, actually. This is, this is from the Today Show. This is a woman who was adopted, and this is what she said. She said, as children, 
We were not allowed to speak about our adoption. Therefore, I carried a lot of shame. We were told not to look for our biological family. She's talking about her adoptive family. We were told not to look for our biological families. Later in life, after much healing, I decided to start my search. I found my biological mother via ancestry DNA, as well as a private investigator that I had hired. She rejected me and was not willing to have a relationship. I still have not been able to find my biological father. And this woman talks about how she's been suicidal and has mental health issues. And so I say to you today, why are we not answering the questions that this woman is putting forward? This story is real. It's not just, it's not just the, the minority, this happened. So why don't we as a pro-life movement, instead of just saying, don't abort, adopt, say, how do we fix adoption? How do we help these children have fulfilled lives? How do we facilitate programs where we can off-ramp their trauma and make sure that they are as loved and cared for with their unique set of circumstances as we possibly can? We do a lot of things right in the pro-life movement. We're a pretty great movement. I'm proud to be a part of this movement. I'm proud to sit here with you. But if we want to win this, this cultural battle, especially in a potentially, God willing, post-Roe America, we have to address the uncomfortable. We have to address the arguments that celebrities, for example, talk about the foster care system. They say, listen, I was raised in foster care and it was horrible. I bounced between house to house to house. My, my foster parents didn't care. They were just in it for the money. I was abused, I was neglected. This happens in our foster care system. Why would we ignore this? Um, the one thing that I have to say, I do not like that the conservative movement and the pro-life movement uses graphic abortion images. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but when we were walking by, the big, there was this big jumbotron. Um, it was right before we turned the corner to see the Capitol, and it was playing a video of an abortion, a late-term abortion. And I mean, I felt sick to my stomach seeing it. I, I could have vomited. I mean, I, my daughter is a year old, and seeing her grow inside me, you know, last year, and then seeing her develop this year, like, I don't want to see that. I know what it is. I know it's horrendous. And I thought to myself, why, why are we playing these images? Why are we playing these? Is this going to change someone's mind who is considering abortion? Are they going to see that? And is that going to invite them into a movement that will help care for them? Or is that going to turn them off because it's so gratuitous? And here's what I would say, I know that this is not popular. Maybe some of you in this room were carrying the graphic images. I don't say this as condemnation. I say this as honest analysis because there's a difference between graphic images and gratuitous images. Graphic images have their place. And what graphic images would be, would be pictures or animations that show what an abortion is, that answer the question, what does the abortion procedure do to a baby? That changes hearts and minds. That is graphic. I said in my speech this morning, you know, abortion, dismembers babies. It's a lethal injection. It deprives babies of nutrients and oxygen. That's graphic, but it's not gratuitous. It's not intending. It's not, the purpose of that is not shock value. That changes hearts and minds. As a conservative movement, as a pro-life movement, we need to acknowledge that as conservatives, we maybe get outraged when there's a pseudo-pornographic image of a woman scantily clad on a billboard somewhere, and yet we are the ones holding up an image far more graphic of an aborted baby. The other thing, and this is perhaps the most controversial of all, is we should compromise more. I know you might be surprised to hear me say that because I'm pretty much an absolutist by nature. You can ask my husband on that. <laughs> compromise is maybe not my forte. Um, and so I'm not talking about principle here. I'm not talking about saying, oh, you know, a woman can choose up until the end of the first trimester. I'm not saying that we should acknowledge that that's right. But what I am saying is if the vast majority of the American people agree that we should abolish abortion, outlaw it, prohibit it in the second trimester and third trimester. Why don't we do that? 
Why don't, why don't we compromise? Because look, look at the history of our nation. Go back to what I said at the beginning about the final fight for freedom. Think about, think about the era of our country where there were slaves. What did the abolitionists do? Even before the abolitionists, think about the Constitutional Convention. What, what abhorrent line was included in, in our Constitution? The three-fifths compromise. Are you guys familiar with this? The three-fifths compromise is the line that says that black Americans are not whole citizens, that they are counted as three-fifths of a person in our Constitution. Now, you can look at this in a nuanced way and say, okay, that's for purposes of congressional representation. This is not for, this is not defining the humanity of this person, but it's also, in a sense, one and the same. This, this, this is not, not a, not a rose-colored part of our history, if you will. But what happened as a result of that compromise, as abhorrent as it may seem in and of itself, what happened? Because it was for purposes of congressional representation, it allowed the northern states, the freedom states, to have more power in Congress and prevented the southern states, who were pro-slavery, from having an overwhelming majority in Congress. And so as a result of that, what happened? We were able, less than 100 years later, to abolish slavery in our nation because of that compromise, which on its face looks gross. This is something that philosophically we in the pro-life movement th should think about. We should consider this because as much of an absolutist as I am, I wanna win 10 out of 10, 100% of the time. I don't wanna budge an inch. Sometimes in order to win, it requires strategy. And sometimes that strategy is a compromise for a minute that you know will lead to a victory in the end. And I don't think the pro-life movement has embraced this strategy quite enough. But first I wanna to talk to you about Echelon Fitness. Now you all know that for my New Year's resolution, I resolved to work out more. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm a bit of a workaholic when it comes to what I do. So Echelon Fitness brings the gym to my home, which helps a lot. It also helps to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes, incorporating music from your favorite artists, and you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. With Echelon Fitness, you can work out anytime, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. You just pick your class, climb the leaderboard, cheer each other on, and give it your all. Echelon Fitness's full range of affordable workout equipment, stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and the auto-folding treadmill are all connected to provide the Echelon Fitness experience. Like I said, this is going to be around the clock. One membership covers a family of five. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $650 off MSRP. To get this exclusive discount, text Liz to 81818. That's Liz to 81818 to get $650 off MSRP. Liz, to 818181, disclaimer here, which is mandatory, message and data rates may apply, see terms for details. The next thing that we should do is we should listen to the pro-abortion left. There is a pictorial on People Magazine. I'm a shameless reader of People Magazine, I know it's trash, but you know, sometimes you gotta follow pop culture. There's a pictorial on People Magazine this weekend for the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and it shows all of these leftist all of these leftist celebrity women talking about their abortion experience. And the way that this pictorial is presented is presented in a positive way. It's saying, oh, these celebrities are sharing their abortion stories so that if any woman is ever in a similar situation, she doesn't feel alone. She doesn't feel like she's the only one who's had an abortion, that these other women who ended up being materially successful for their career, they also had an abortion. So I was clicking through this to read, to see who these celebrities were and to read. And one thing was really striking to me. 
Almost every woman, when she was talking about the abortion that she had obtained, most of these celebrities, they obtained these abortions in their teens or their early 20s, and a lot of them now are in their 30s or 40s. There's a, there's a theme in every one of their answers. They say, I didn't want to do it. I felt that I had to do it if I wanted to be successful in my career. I still think about it. It still haunts me. And then they caveat, but it was the right decision for me, the pro-abortion left says. And I thought, we should listen to these women. Not their last sentence, not where they're trying to justify it and justify it to themselves even. We should listen to what their concerns were. They felt that they had no, nowhere to turn. Someone was pressuring them. They felt like they couldn't be successful materially in their career unless they aborted their child. What does that tell us? What does that call us? It calls us not just to speak our language from the pro-life movement, but to speak to their, their concerns, to say, I hear you, I'm listening to you, and now let me talk to you. Let me say, there are women, you can do both. You can have a career and a baby. You don't need that big of a bank account to raise a kid. You, you can spend a lot of money if you want, but you don't have to. All of these material concerns can be addressed, and we, the pro-life movement, should be the loudest, saying we totally listen to what you're saying. We acknowledge you, we see you, and we have an answer to you that doesn't require you to abort your baby. Because right now, what we often do is we often scoff. We often say, oh, that's so gross. You know, that they traded material wealth, their child's soul for material wealth, and that's true, they did. But that's not the way to change their minds. To change their minds is to offer them an alternative that's a viable alternative. Now, the last thing that the conservative movement falls short on sometimes, not always, is knowing our facts. If you are in a conversation with a pro-abortion leftist, do you know how to answer every single thing that they're gonna say, or do you avoid certain topics? Do you know when life begins? Do you know the moral, ethical, philosophical, legal argument for why our government should protect even the unborn? Do you know what an abortion procedure is, what the abortion pill does, the mechanism? what a first trimester abortion is, a second trimester abortion, a third trimester abortion. Do you know the statistics from OBGYNs about whether an abortion is ever necessary to save the life of the mother? Spoiler alert, it's not. And yet even the conservative movement, we've allowed that caveat because we wanna seem pro-woman, but it's never actually necessary to save the life of the mother to abort the child. Sometimes it's necessary to take medication or undergo a procedure that, who's sec that secondarily, as a secondary mechanism, will cause the death of the child or it's necessary to induce labor early, maybe before viability, but it's never necessary as the first thing to kill the child first. And then of course, we, have the, we do have the material arguments. You need an abortion to be successful. Well, I didn't. I'd like to think I'm pretty successful. Not as successful as the Hollywood celebrities maybe, at least yet. <laughs> but we should tell women, you were made for both. You can do both. You don't need an abortionist to save you. And then of course the constitutional argument. So the constitutional argument is one of my favorite. I'm pretty nerdy about this stuff. But the constitutional argument that the right to abortion is found in the 14th Amendment. And in the 14th Amendment, even though the right to abortion doesn't exist there, it exists in the right to privacy, which also doesn't exist in the 14th Amendment. It's just, it's just a uh, penumbra. Penumbra is a word that means shadow. A penumbra of an emanation, an emanation means light, so a penumbra of an emanation is a shadow cast by a light. So it's literally a third degree invented idea that they're saying, well, the 14th Amendment doesn't say abortion and it doesn't say privacy, but it does cast a light which casts a shadow. So 
One, two, three, four degrees away, we've found this right to abortion in the 14th Amendment. Every single one of us should be able to articulate this clearly, very clearly, and unravel this, because if you listen to Dobbs, the oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court, those pro-abortion lawyers, I mean, I was honestly surprised. They weren't that good. I thought they were going to have some legalese in there that I had to look up and I had to parse and I had to analyze. Nope. Nope. Any one of us could say, wait, you're talking about this just being a woman's body. You're not acknowledging the baby's body. And you're saying, you're not even arguing that this is in the Constitution. You're just saying that you can't overturn a, a, a ruling from the 1970s because this is settled law. This is precedent. They weren't even arguing anymore about these penumbras and emanations because they know it's wrong. If we know our stuff, if we listen to the pro-abortion left, if we compromise practically on our way to victory, not on principle, if we get rid of these shock value gratuitous images, if we acknowledge that adoption is not always roses and sunshine, that the foster care system needs reform, if we apply ourselves and pitch alternatives and reform and fix this, if we talk about the uncomfortable, standing up for the dignity of all human lives without exemption for rape and incest, understanding the medical truth about the life of the mother, then, then we will be making inroads. Then it won't just be 52% of millennials who think that once a heartbeat is detected, abortion should be illegal. Then we will start to get to the 48%. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for those 48%. Those 48%, I want those. I want them on our team. And I know that it's not just going to be the group of us meeting in Washington, D.C. every year, that when the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, in a post-Roe America, the fight is going to be in each and every one of our states and each and every one of our backyards, especially if we live in a red state. Because the blue states, they're immediately going to legalize abortion. But the red states, that's all of a sudden. The red states are going to be the object in Planned Parenthood's eye. They're going to say, this state, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's Georgia, maybe it's Texas. Planned Parenthood is going to say, abortion's not legal there. Focus on that. And so all of a sudden, in our backyard, we're going to have this fight. And the, fir and the first thing we must do to win a fight is win hearts and minds. We have to change the culture first, because politics is downstream of culture. So it's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to an honest analysis of what this fight is. This is the final fight for freedom, the final remedy, the final founding once we have restored the rights of the unborn, then our founding documents will be applied in our nation as they were intended. Because we've been around for over 250 years and we still aren't applying the Constitution as it was written. But once we do, then our nation can prosper. Then we can live up to our potential. Then the lives of these unborn children can blossom in our nation instead of our country becoming what's essentially a graveyard of unborn babies. And you and I, I mean, at that march yesterday, I cannot stop smiling the whole day. Because even though this is a tremendously heavy topic, this is a tremendously sad topic, knowing that all of us are out there fighting together, knowing that all of us are being the voice for these sweet babies, that we're here because we mean business, I know we're gonna win this fight. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Thank you for being here.
The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.